Welcome back, everybody. Another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And as always, joined by my good friend, Pierre Lebrun in Toronto. And today, an extra special guest, we have Dave Tippett, longtime NHL coach and now the Senior Advisor for Seattle Hockey Partners, LLC. Dave, I had to look that up. I couldn't memorize that. I'm actually reading from <laughs> the computer here. Now, do you, is that on a business card of yours, or do you have to how, Do you have to remind yourself of your new title? Actually, or what's... actually, you know what? This is the first time, I think, in 35 years I've had a business card, and it, it just says Dave Tippett on it. It doesn't have anything else on it, other than <laughs> a phone number and an address, so. To be determined, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means you get to write in whatever you want, depending on yeah, that, the, yeah. the crowd you're the with. Or you're talking to. Exactly. Well, but but hold on. That's kind of a, I mean, let's just go right to the jugular here, Dave Tippett. I mean, that's a good place to start. What will the, the job title say one day when, when uh, Seattle hopefully gets its team here? I mean, I think that's a question I literally get from everyone in hockey all the time. So you have your chance it's, right here to tell the world. I, Todd and I have uh, Todd Lewicki and I have been talking about a kind of a longer term commitment here, and uh, so we're you know, it'll be a, an upper management role on the team. It won't be, uh, um, you know, we talked about coaching. And he said, "Don't take it off the table." When we came here, but I've kind of feel like I've gone the other direction from that. And um, if uh, if I wanted to coach, I could probably be coaching already. But uh, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, so I'm going to stay in Seattle, and we'll be. Some kind of an executive management role within the team. Well, there wow. you go. We're breaking some news here on the podcast. Breaking some news. Yeah. Well, and then, and uh, maybe that's a great way to to move on and, and just explain, you know, what your role has been because I, my sense is it has sort of evolved since you started working uh, with the Seattle group. And what exactly are you doing, Dave? Are you looking at players? Well, are you looking? Of, yeah. No, no, no. We haven't even we haven't even hardly started on the hockey. Uh, stuff yet other than I've put together a structure what a hockey operations would look like for them um, just for budgeting and just for personnel uh, point of view but um, on the hockey side really what we'll do is um, we'll get through the December 4th announcement first that's got to come first before anybody starts moving forward but you know the the ideal situation is if we start in 2020 that we'll look to fill a general manager's role, you know, in uh, late to early summer next year and uh, pretty much the same timeline as, as Vegas did with, uh, with George and, um, you know, the general manager will fill out his scouting staff for the first year and the following year we'll, you know, continue to add to the hockey operations pieces of coaching and, and minor league coaches and, and all the training staff and everything that goes with that. So, um, my job, for the most part, uh, to this point, is a lot of stuff to do with the buildings, the key arena, which we're going to redo all the hockey spaces in the key arena, um, help with the design of those. Uh, the um, training center that we're going to build a, a brand new training center here, a three-sheet uh, training center that will house not just our, our main offices, but all the hockey operations offices and uh, dressing room and facilities for the team. So uh, I'm involved in all the planning and preparation for all those spaces also so that's that takes up a big uh, big part of my time right now and then uh, you're just doing some due diligence on a lot of different things watching what teams are doing uh, you know thinking about personnel that might fit within our group and uh, so there's a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of little things going on every day that 
that ends up being uh, a pretty busy guy. And I've been doing a little bit of traveling, getting out and looking at some different buildings. I was in Chicago last week and looked at Chicago's new practice facility. I've been out to Minnesota and looked at their new facility. So uh, just a lot of that stuff and, and watching a lot of hockey in between. Well, uh, Dave, I'm sure it'll be up to the, I guess, to, between you and, and whoever becomes a GM, who you're going to end up having behind the bench if it's not you. It doesn't sound like it will be. Um, no, no, that's not and, what the plan is right now, no. All right, but what I was going to say is you have an old Hartford Whalers teammate, and you knew I was going to get here, <laughs> uh, but you have an old Hartford Whalers teammate who after uh, a glorious decade in Chicago was let go uh, uh, on Tuesday in Joel Quenville, and, and, and you know, uh, I know we're putting the, you know, the, the cart in front of the horse here, but uh, I know you guys go back, and I just wondered if you could share your thoughts on, on what happened with Joel, and I mean, we're only half kidding, but uh he's obviously well, it was a, bad, a, a, it was a bad, day, bad day all the way around for all the whalers because it wasn't just joel it was three whalers got let go yesterday old right. teammates you know with kevin and alfie going but no I, I you know i you never like to see that happen to a coach i mean you know i, I know personally what they're going through and um you know i never left the team in the middle of a year which uh i think you know probably is makes this thing a little more because it just ends so suddenly but um, you know, Joel had an unbelievable run there and, uh, and his record speaks for itself, the three cups and just what he was, uh, working with there. And, and, you know, it just comes to a point where I think, um, change is, change is good for everybody. I think the change might be good for Joel and I'm not sure what he's going to do yet, but, uh, him stepping away and maybe taking a little time probably wouldn't be bad for him. And, and, you know, I don't know the young coach that went into Chicago there, but, uh, Maybe he comes in with some fresh energy and, and they go. But uh, it's sorry to say, you know, it's sad to see a good friend like Joel go. He's a heck of a coach. And just from coaching a lot against them, there's there's not too many better in the game. So, um, but hopefully the time off for him will be good for him. So so what so what you're saying, uh, sorry to interrupt, Scotty. So what you're saying is maybe maybe uh, Coach Quenville should take a whole year off. or let, I'm trying to get the timeline there. Let me see. Seattle 2020. Hold on there. Two years. Two years, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows? We'll probably bump in. We'll probably bump into each other at some point, and uh, and uh, I'll get a better idea what he's going to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've been you've been through this, as you mentioned. It's never happened to you in the in the middle of the season. But last year was so unusual because really until the very end of the regular season, I think Alain Vigneault was, uh, was relieved of his duties by the Rangers after game 82 for them. And here we have two coaches, um, um, you know, two coaching changes made within days of each other with John Stevens, of course, uh, going in LA and then uh, Joel in, in Chicago a few days later. And is, is it just a, do you think Dave, in, in, in your experience, is it just a pendulum thing that th- these things, there's no rhyme or reason to why, you know, maybe where where you see two or three coaches go at a in a short period of time, and then you last year you go an entire season without seeing coach fired until the very end. Is it is there a pattern to it? Do you think, or what? What do you? What's your no, view on I, that? I, I I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, my wife my wife last year she thought it was exactly what needed to happen because she wanted me to take a year off but now she's going well okay how about a year how about not not 10 years you know but you know it's it's i guess there's different pressures and there's different timelines and um you know every team they're independent thinkers every team and they uh 
you get to the point where you just say they got to make a change. But, uh, but it's, you know, it's interesting, the feeling from coaches. I know when, when I left Dallas, it was, I was sour because I got, you know, let go. And, and uh, when I left Arizona, I left on my own accord. So it was, uh, I was glad to walk away and, and get some time. So coaches, uh, coaches take it different. And I'm sure GMs look at everything in a different light. And sometimes they feel like, status quo was the best and to work through it but then you get to other times when they said just it's it's a change that has to be made so those are those are the the downfalls of coaching right there (laughs) right and and dave i'm wondering if uh going back to seattle if you're you plan to be in sea island georgia at the nhl board of governors meeting early next month uh you know obviously the league uh, the board of governors will will finally have the big vote on on seattle by the sounds of it and uh, just wondering if you plan to be there uh, I don't know if I'll be there or not. I haven't talked to Todd yet. I know Todd is going to be there. He's the only one mm-hmm. that I know from our staff is going. We have, uh, I think they've got a couple of things planned right after that in Seattle here. So I'm not sure how big our traveling party will be down there. I don't think there'll be a, a lot to do down there other than just stand there and say, right. uh, you know, the vote's gone through. But, uh, but I know there's a, there's some plans for some stuff uh, going on up here that I might have to be involved in. I haven't got that far yet with Todd. And, and as, a, as a quick follow to that, uh, uh, Gary Bettman has mentioned and Bill Daly several times to us in the media that uh, the expansion uh, roster rules or draft rules uh, will be largely the same. The, the ones that, yeah. you know, help help Vegas get a bit of a head start. And on the other hand, we I've had a number of GMs, uh, some of whom that I've quoted, saying that they've kind of learned their lesson from uh, maybe over thinking or overplaying their hand with George McPhee and the Vegas group uh, through that process. I'm wondering, you know, and these are conversations you'll have obviously with the new GM. And, we, we must be talking to the same people because I'm hearing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's, I, I, you know, it's a long question uh, here, but my point yeah. is, are you starting to formulate some ideas that you and the new GM and the new front office eventually will, you know, form into a game plan? Yeah. Well, it starts with, you know, the rules will, when, when things are, um, when you get the rubber stamp finally, and, you know, we'll get making sure the rules are the same and everything. But I've done a real deep study into Vegas and, and all the all the transactions they made, the players they picked and stuff. So, but I think I think you're exactly right. I think the will the GMs throughout the league will be uh, better prepared just from the experience of going through it, and uh, so that'll make our job maybe a little bit harder, but. You know the rules are the rules that are in place allow you to get some some good players. So it's uh, you know I th- I don't think it's like it was when say Minnesota and, and Columbus came in where it was it was a, uh, a long mm-hmm. you know you know you were in for a long rebuilding process kind of thing or a building not rebuilding but uh, you know we're, there's going to be good players available and hopefully uh, you know Vegas set a pretty high bar on. on their first year, but uh, hopefully we can get some good players and start out very well. I, I'm curious, Dave, about you. You mentioned you've been going around to different places and looking at their physical setup, and but that Vegas model must be something that that gives you such a a real good handle uh, in terms of 
preparing and moving forward. When you like, if you call up George McPhee or if you call up Kelly McCrimmon or Murray Craven, who was so important for them in terms of building their practice facility and getting their infrastructure off the ground, are they happy to share with you? I mean, you guys are going to be, yeah. if, if all goes well, competitors and and possibly, uh, my guess is in the same division. Are, do they take your calls or what's the relationship like? Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, it's funny. I, uh, Todd Lewicki has was friends with George from way back in Vancouver days. So they, they know each other. Well, I know Kelly McCrimmon very well. So, um, you know, there's, there's always conversations, but they're, uh, they've been more than, uh, more than generous with their time. And, and it's not, not so much the hockey and their mindset of why they picked this player, or that player. It's uh, a lot of the infrastructure stuff, the, the challenges that maybe jump up at you, that you don't recognize are coming. And all of a sudden there's a, a deadline or, um, you know, a challenge of, getting something prepared or, or something that you just overlooked. So they they've been real. I, I've been some talking with Kelly McCrimmon. He's, uh, he's been very, you know, forthcoming and just their challenges of the first year. And obviously they didn't have very many, but the ones they did that, um, you just, you just try to make sure you're preparing for all the different scenarios that are going to be thrown your way. Very cool. David, you just uh, last time you coached, you mentioned uh, Arizona at the end of that sixteen seventeen season and and, and stepping away. Are, are there are there things that you've missed about coaching that you didn't think you would miss, or or maybe there were things that you you know that have allowed you to sort of step further into this new career um, that maybe surprised you uh, once you got away from the game. I wonder what that transition away after so long behind the bench has, if there have been parts of it that surprised you. Uh, the part that you miss is the game, you know, like the, the ability to coach against other, you know, the coach against the other coach on the other team, like the game within the game there is the, is the fun part. And you, you know, the energy and, and, uh, you know, just the preparation going into the hour before the game, you're sitting there and you're in your head, you're going through how the, you know, you think the matchups are going to go, what you're going to do to get away from matchups that you're on the road. I mean, all those little things you think about in your head. Uh, I miss that. I don't miss the, the grind of it. The, um, the everyday, you know, whether you win, you win, you get home at one o'clock in the morning and you think you feel good, but you lay there in bed for another two hours and, and you get up and go to the rink at seven, or if you lose, you stew about it for three hours and get up and go try to fix it at seven in the morning. So I don't miss that. I don't miss that grind at all right now. And, um, and some of the other things, you know, with this, this other job, you, you get to open your mind to different things. And uh, Todd Lewicki laughs at me. He goes, you're learning the dark side now. And there's just a lot of the business of the game and the politics of the game, you know, and especially we're trying to, you know, you get a new building built in, downtown seattle there's a lot of regulations and permitting and things like that that come into play and then uh, you know the whole construction process which is actually very um, very intriguing to me a long time ago in hartford i used to have my own construction company so i've always been kind of in, you know enjoyed building things like that so all those things have been very intriguing to me that have kind of taken away any any part of the coaching that i missed i'm i'm busy enough where i uh, I, don't, I get to watch games with a smile on my face. I get to watch how miserable some of those coaches look out there. <laughs> well, but well, Dave, I, I want to thank you for joining us. And I only have one request. I've never, I've never asked you for much over the years, but I have a very emotional request for you. Uh, if all goes well and we have 
NHL hockey in Seattle in a couple of years. And that is, is there any way that the goal song could be the brass bonanza? Well, we, you know what? I, I did a, <laughs> I did a, I kind of do a little radio show here and, uh, we were going to do a Brass Bonanza yesterday, a tribute to Joel. So people around here might know it. <laughs> I don't know if they can bring it here, but uh, it's amazing. You know, it's it's amazing how many Hartford Whaler fans there are out there still. For the, sure, the stuff that get get sent with memorabilia that get signed and stuff. It's incredible how many people are just Hartford Whaler fans. And, and I've met actually, I've met a few of them in in Washington here in in Seattle. People from all different walks of life of come up or reached out to me and say, you know, I lived in Hartford in the mid eighties and loved the whalers. And so they, uh, you know, I, I, I think I'd have a hard time convincing Todd to put the brass bananas on there, but <laughs> you never know. Oh, that's great. Wow. That yeah. sounds great. Well, you know, just, and just before we let you go, I don't know if you remember it was a few years ago in, in Phoenix, I came out and spent some time with you and, and yeah, uh, you yeah. actually asked my input on your lineup and line combination. So if you, if you see my resume come across your desk, that you will know exactly why of, you know, that it's, that's coming there, but I just want you to keep that in mind as well, that I believe you were uh, one to know uh, with uh, Burnside helping out with your lineup. So just, yeah, well, for the record, right, well, we might have to we might have to get both of you in, and we'll have a mock draft just to see how we come out, and then we can look at it after the real draft and see how wrong you guys really were. <laughs> well, I, I'm wrong all the time. Although I tell you, if you saw how Scotty did in our media fantasy hockey league, you would never <laughs> want him to be even like miles <laughs> close to your operation. Let me tell you. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, Dave Tibbet, good right. luck to you, and uh, and thanks for for dropping by Two Man Advantage. That was great. My pleasure, guys, and uh, we'll see you along the road or somewhere. Right. Get, get Sounds going to be exciting. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Bye now. All right, my friend. And I, I will give you full props for suggesting we have Dave Tippett on this week. And, uh, yeah, it turned out to be great. And I must admit, I'm a little bit surprised that um, his career path is as defined as he just suggested to us that it is, that he's not going to be going back and mm-hmm. that he won't reappear as a head coach of the new team in Seattle, which I think a lot of us had sort of imagined, you know, given his long history as a coach, that that would be, you know, how this would work out. But that's not going to happen that way. Are, are, are you surprised by that? Or? Yeah, certainly a bit of news uh, there uh, from Dave Tippett. And um, I, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm surprised. I, I, I just wondered. I knew that he was trying to walk his way through what he thought that uh, he should do with this organization as time went on. And, and you know, he's really used the past year since he's been there to get his feet wet, get to know Todd Lewicki, um, you know, get to know what, you know, makes sense for him. And, I guess deep down, I always thought he might be the coach, and only because that's all we've known him has since, you know, other than his playing days. But remember that he did get a taste of management in Arizona at the very end, and, and, and you know, maybe that sort of transferred over to, to some of the things he wants to do now. And uh, so it is interesting. And, and so what it tells you, obviously, is that, uh, you know, unless he's going to be the GM himself, but it doesn't sound like it because he talked about hiring a GM, um, that he'll have a role. Uh, a very important role, um, you know, there'll be a GM, there'll be a coach. So some big decisions, obviously, for Seattle moving forward. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not, I mean, there are lots of teams who have that kind of model, right? I mean, in in Toronto, obviously, uh, with uh, Brendan Shanahan, who, you know, is a Hall of Fame player, but uh, is a, is above the 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 day to day operation than the with the general manager. Uh, of course, 
Kyle Dubas doing that job in Toronto and you know John Davidson in St. Louis with working so closely with Jarmo Kekalainen as the GM uh, with the Blue Jackets and there there are lots of those kinds of positions around and and it just it strikes me that that is it's interesting that that's you know, it sounds like the kind of role that, that Dave Tippett is going to move into. And um, and it does set up all kinds of interesting possibilities about a first GM and, of course, a first coach. And I thought your question about Joel Quenville, of course, given their long history as, as former teammates, but also obviously given Joel Quenville's status as the number two all-time winningest coach of all. And we're going to talk to Chicago writer Mark Lazarus about all that's unfolded in Chicago. But yeah, it certainly sets up some interesting dynamics moving forward. And and you will be in in, uh, coastal Georgia, where we expect uh, in early December that uh, the NHL will finalize team number 32 in Seattle. Um, Mm -hmm. What are you looking forward to about that? Well, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that once, I mean, I think at this point it'd be pretty shocking if the Board of Governors voted no, but I guess you, you should never count your eggs. Um, but once they vote yes, I'm hoping that the Board of Governors in the NHL will shed more light on, on the process moving forward. You know, they told us all along that the rules will be the same, but I do think on some level there might be some tweaks. Um, you know, probably minor ones, but still stuff that I think hockey fans love to hear about. So I'm hoping that comes out of that meeting. And it, and it's interesting, again, uh, just to reinforce this before we move on from Seattle, but Dave Tippett uh, reiterating what uh, many of us had reported before, that if it looks like the team is indeed starting in 2020, that they want, they want to follow the Vegas model in terms of a timeline for hiring a new GM, which is basically... Uh, you know, 18 months out, right? So, so that would suggest a June hire this coming June of a new GM in Seattle, if indeed they're starting in 2020. Right. Well, and that makes sense too. I mean, the off season is a time when the, you know, assistant GMs are um, able to talk to other teams. Uh, it's a, it's a period of time when there, you know, when there is going to be transition, that is the most logical time. Um you know, for people to 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 be looking elsewhere, and for teams to be looking to fill gaps in their in their own hierarchy, so it, it makes sense, and it should build mean make for a very interesting and busy June two thousand nineteen for Dave Tippett if uh, if everything goes as planned. Yeah, no, absolutely, and curious to see what title he ends up with. Right, that'll be uh... now. Now, honestly, it really scares me that you you offered your services. I mean, are, are, like, are you trying to sink Seattle before they even play a game? I, mean, <laughs> I just, well, as you know, and Dave and I have laughed about that just about every time we've crossed paths uh, and just before we, not to bore people, but it was, I was doing sort of a, a day in the life with the coaching staff and uh, Sean Burke was on the staff at that point. Um, Dave King was on the staff still at that point and uh, they were, they were running through their line combinations. And at one point, Dave Tippett did turn to me. And he said, what, what should we do with Shane Doan? Cause I, Shane Doan was in a bit of a slump and uh, I can't recall exactly what, uh, but I suggested in line combination, they started, I believe they scored on their first shift and certainly no one will be able to check. So I'm going to claim that they didn't, they went on to a victory over, I believe it was the Minnesota wild. So, but we, we have joked about it pretty much every time. And, but he did say, I don't want you to tell Shane Doan that you, that you put that line together until enough time has elapsed that he won't get mad. So there you go. <laughs> That's my story. So. All right, my friend. So, okay. 
don't don't go anywhere. I know you won't, uh, because we're going to come right back with uh, segment two of Two Man Advantage, and we're going to chat with our colleague and good friend Mark Lazarus in Chicago. All right, as promised, and as always, we return for segment two of Two Man Advantage, uh, the podcast, and uh, this is a great follow-up here. I'm, I'm very pleased. You suggested Dave Tippett join us. Uh, I reached out to Mark Lazarus, who is going to join us for the second segment today, and of course, it's, it's a very newsy podcast today. Uh, we're taping a day after the, I think it's fair to say, the shocking announcement that the Chicago Blackhawks have moved on from Joel Quenville. And uh, Mark, I thought your piece uh, after the after the dust had settled very briefly uh, was terrific. And I wonder if you can just sort of walk us through um, just your thoughts when you found out the news that uh, the, uh, the Blackhawks had, uh, had decided to part ways with Joel Quenville. Number two all-time in wins in NHL coaching, a surefire Hall of Famer at some point when he's done. Who knows when that is? But uh, that's it's pretty pretty dramatic news. Yeah, you know, I, I think I, what I wrote was it was it was unthinkable, but it was also inevitable. I mean, you know, Joel Quenville is on the Mount Rushmore of, of Chicago coaches up there with Phil Jackson and Mike Ditka and George Hallis. He's probably, arguably, the greatest coach in the city's history. So just to see him fired midseason, 15 games in, I mean, is inherently shocking. But he was almost fired in 2012, towards the end of that season. They were this close to firing him. Um, He was almost fired again last season. Uh, I heard rumblings that they considered, even after giving him a vote of confidence at the end of the year, firing him over the summer. Uh, It it seemed like they were just kind of looking for a reason to fire him at this point. Um, You don't get fired 15 games into the season if this wasn't already sort of in the works. And, you know, the Blackhawks started out 6-2-2, kind of calmed everybody down. They go 0-4-1, come off a Western Canada road trip where Patrick Kane misses a game because he's sick. Duncan Keith misses 58 minutes of a game because he got ejected, probably unfairly. And, I mean, if you think about what happens in Calgary, Corey Crawford holds the fort down and they they wind up winning that game. Does he not get fired now? Uh, You don't get fired because of a five-game stretch. So this clearly had been in the works for some time. And you know, what I wrote is that, you know, this is part of a bigger power struggle between Stan Bowman, the general manager, and Joel Quenville, the coach. Um, they didn't, they weren't at each other's throats. They didn't hate each other. It wasn't adversarial that much. But there was a, there's a, a push and a pull with any GM and coach, but particularly these two. Uh, and it dates back to that 2012 time when the Hawks lost nine games in a row. This brutal stretch they were on, most of it on the road. They come back and Stan Bowman puts Barry Smith basically forces him on Joel Quenville as an assistant coach to work on the power play. Joel Quenville strongly resented this. Uh, I've heard from multiple sources that there was a bit of a shouting match that happened as a result of that. And there's been this lingering mistrust since. And the fact that Barry Smith is now an assistant coach for Jeremy Colleton, it certainly led me to believe, and and, and many, many people I've talked to told me this, that it was basically Stan, Stan and Scotty Bowman, they won the power struggle. That's office politics at work. I don't even know how to follow that up. There's so much energy there. <laughs> I know. It was, <laughs> it was like reading your column all over again. I was told yesterday, for what it's worth, and, and maybe it's because both guys are, are, are above anything, are above acting any other way, but I was told that the final meeting between Stan Bowman and Joel Quenville was quite civil, actually, yesterday. But that doesn't take away from anything you just said, obviously, Laz. You're, you're close to it, and, and I think you see a lot of people talking about 
you know, that power well, struggle. I, I, but, but, I, think, but, but, I think it's important to clarify that they're like, like you said, their relationship was professional. They didn't, they weren't at each other's throats. I didn't mean to paint it that way. Right. Uh, they were pretty professional, but they had different visions in a lot of different ways. And, uh, and, and, you know, a guy like Joe Quenville is not going to just sit there and be a yes man for his general manager, not with his resume. So I think mm-hmm. it was natural that there was some of that friction. But a couple of things I, I would say too, from a time zone away here. One is that, Listen, I mean, they got, you know, as Scott said, I mean, the guy, Joel Quenville, one of the greatest coaches ever, will be in the Hall of Fame one day. But 10 years is a long time. I, you know, I, I mean, this is probably not a great comparison given everything you just painted, but, you know, Scotty Bowman left Buffalo, mm-hmm. right? I mean, even the, the greatest of the great, Scotty Bowman, there is um, a term to everyone. And, you know, Claude Julien had a long run in Boston, one, another great coach. After a while, it's just time. And so I, I guess I, I, to some degree, I was a bit surprised by the reaction on social media yesterday, only because, frankly, to your point, I thought this was going to happen late last season. And I was actually surprised it didn't. And again, not because Joel Quenville deserves it, more because it's just after a while, it's time. And wherever Joel Quenville resurfaces, he's going to get on a great run again and, and have more success. But I think the idea that... that he should not have been fired uh, mystifies me to some degree, I guess. Well, it's interesting because uh, I, I sat down with Joel in uh, actually in Calgary uh, back in January and it's on and my sixth year on the beat. It was the first time I actually had a one-on-one with Joel Quenville. I don't know how he is with you national types, but he doesn't really do these kinds of interviews uh, mm-hmm. very often. And, and he kind of brought that up when I, we were just talking in general about, about the nature of the job and, and, and questions. And he said, you know, hey, does the message get stale? Do you need to change things up? He's like, I understand that. Everything in this business is a short-term business. I don't think Joel Quenville, uh, it, a lot of people were surprised by what happened. I don't think Joel Quenville necessarily was. I don't think he right. wanted to get fired, but I don't think he was surprised. That, that's sort of what, it, what I was getting at. And um you know, and I, I put out a tweet yesterday, which I thought was rather obvious, but got a lot of reaction. Um, but I kind of tied the LA Kings and Blackhawks together, given that, you know, they both made coaching changes within days of each other over the past week. And I, I just think it's sometimes it's the old forest from the trees thing. But you take a step back, you know, which is easier, I guess, you know, for me to do from my perch here. But it, it's fascinating to me the struggles that the Hawks and Kings have both had in almost identical ways since you know since they won five cups in six years together i mean it's i I think this system and and the way that it does not allow you to hoard talent and to keep all your good players you know no one's written the book yet on how to win a bunch of cups and then stay good i I think it's very difficult that both teams are still trying to figure their way through that no question success in the nhl in the salary cap world comes at a severe cost and after 2010, the Hawks had a, a purge. After 2013, they had a mini purge. After 2015, they had another purge. You just can't keep it going forever. And it's not the coach's fault that guys get older and slower. It's not necessarily the GM's fault either, but it's it's the GM's job to somehow maintain a, a successful roster. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know what coach can come in right now and make this particular Blackhawks roster a Stanley Cup contender. It, it- Mark, it, it, um, as you and I were chatting uh, with Pierre just before we came back for the second segment, we had you know Dave Tippett talking about his role in Seattle and, of course, a, a long connection between 
those two men, both as uh, Western Conference adversaries, as coaches and, and teammates back in the day in Hartford, it, it, I think a lot of people immediately jump to, well, where does Joel Quenville go next? And, and Pierre tweeted yesterday, he, he comes with a big ticket. He, he, he's being paid very well by one of the most successful franchises in the NHL. And I wonder if you think, when you think about what next for Joel Quenville, is it something that happens quickly or given his stature, given his salary, given perhaps what may be out there in terms of Seattle, that this is something that, that may, it, it may not be something that happens overnight. Like uh, I know Craig Cousins wrote a piece talking to Bruce Boudreaux who got fired in Washington and hired in Anaheim. <laughs> I think it was 36 hours or 38, whatever it was. It was a matter of two, like within two days, he was a head coach back in the NHL. Um, and, and it's obviously worked out well for, for Bruce, but, I wonder if you see a similar kind of arc for Joel Quenville or whether the dynamics may be quite different for him. I think that's entirely up to Joel. I mean, if he wants a job right now, there's a few owners out there and GMs that would push their, their coach out the door right now to, to hire Joel Quenville. Like, I mean, you look at it, a, a team like St. Louis, Mike Yo has been on the, on the hot seat for a while now. Uh, and Joel Quenville has a history there. He's the one that got away. If you're a blues fan, uh, but like you said, he comes at a high price, and the Blues are a budget team. He's got a lot of money left on. It's got two years and a lot of money left on his contract. You know, the Hawks aren't going to just pay that and let him walk. They're going to have to want some compensation there. Uh, I don't know if that works. Maybe if Randy Carlyle's in trouble in Anaheim, would that be appealing? Or does Joel want to just sit down for the next on the couch for the next two years, collect twelve million dollars, and then try something different and new in Seattle? I think that'd be a fascinating challenge. If you've coached for two decades and you've won everything you can win. Maybe you want to try something completely different, and maybe Seattle would be appealing to him. Joel, to, to, to my knowledge, has not spoken publicly yet about this. I know he hasn't gotten back to me, so I don't know exactly what he's thinking. But uh, it's really it, it's, it's entirely up to him. If Joel Quenville wants a job tomorrow, he'll have a job tomorrow. Yeah, my, my sense is I think he's told a few people that he wants to take his time. But again, I'll tell you what's interesting about that, Mark, is that you know, Claude Julien told people close to him after he got fired in Boston. Again, very similar, right? I mean, the Bruins, a long, a long stretch in Boston for Claude Julien, including a Stanley Cup. And so Julien thought he was going to take time with family. He was getting paid well by the Bruins and just wait at least till the summer. But then a bunch of all Canadians called a week later. <laughs> and, it's, and how do you say true. no? <laughs> and how do you say no to uh, the job that would certainly matter the most to Claude Julien the second time for him? Now, I talked about this on Insider Trading on TSN last night, Mark, but the offset provision that exists for coaching hires. And it's never been more fascinating probably in the history of the NHL than it is right now when it comes to Joel Quenville. As for people listening, the offset rule, which was put in years ago, but basically when you're still under contract with the team that fired you and then a new team hires you, uh, the two teams have to balance the books together. So. Usually it's not a big deal. I mean, if the coach makes $2 million, usually he actually gets a raise in his new gig. So the the team that fired him is happy to see him go. But sometimes, like John Tortorella, actually the Canucks and the Blue Jackets had, if you guys remember, had to kind of negotiate who would pay what. But they ended up finding a solution. And so the Canucks paid for, for a chunk of the rest of Tortorella's deal while he became coach in Columbus. But never has there been an unemployed an unemployed coach making $6 billion a year in NHL history. So for I'm two more years for two more years. So I'm fascinated. I mean, I mean, you're, you cover that team. Obviously money's not an object with the Blackhawks, but I, I can't imagine because there aren't that many teams in NHL that can pay 6 million. I, I know that 
you know, the coaches' salaries have exploded. But at the end of the day, I still think only probably a third, if not fewer than that, can pay that kind of money. So if a team wants to hire Joel Quenville and Joel Quenville wants to go to that team, but they're only willing to pay $3 million, that puts the Hawks at a real interesting position for me. I mean, on the one hand, you want to treat Joel Quenville with respect, given his legacy in Chicago and everything he's done. But you're also running a business. I mean, could you see them be willing to eat half of that? Uh, I mean, eating half of it's better than eating all of it, right? I mean, it's 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 kind of a risk management thing for them. Do they think that there's going to be a better offer out there that a team will be willing to pay more of that? Um, right. it, it, you know, it, it's you know a team like Philadelphia has deeper pockets than a team like St. Louis. Do they hold out and wait for a, a, a better job themselves? I, I don't know how you approach that. Rocky Wards has very deep pockets. The the liquor industry is very profitable in Chicago, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't get a sense yet for what they want. I don't think they want to be paying him $12 million to do nothing. I think they'd rather pay less and kind of get him off the books. Hey, I don't think that's good. disrespectful. By the way, it's good to know that I've made Rocky Wirtz rich from my trips to Chicago <laughs> over the years. But, uh, you, and, you and a lot of other hockey writers. And, and the, oh, the, other thing, the other thing I shared yesterday, uh, sorry, Scotty, is that, and this is more, it's not just related to Joel Quenville, but really related to every successful coach or any coach, but that's had a long run. I really do hope he takes his time. It's easy for us to say on the sidelines because we have a job and you know we're not sitting at home doing nothing. But I think of the time that John Tortorella uh, went straight from the Rangers' job to the Canucks, and I don't think he was ready yet mentally for that. And I, I really, and you know, we're in an era where, thank goodness, we talk more about this stuff and we're more open about you know the stresses in our life and 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 the and the mental stress and. I honestly think that after a, an amazing run in Chicago, that it would actually benefit Joel Quenville to take the rest of the year off, in my opinion. Yeah, it'll be right. interesting. I mean, he's he, the thing about Joel Quenville. I feel like we think he's so old because he's been around for so long. He's sixty. That's not that old in, in the hockey coaching world. He's got a lot of years ahead of him. So if he wants to take a year or two off, he can do that and still have plenty of good years ahead of him. He could just spend his time in Denver skiing. That's his favorite thing to do anyway. <laughs> Mark, I wanted to ask you it, it, sort of the opposite side of this coin. Um, is is a relative unknown who comes in to, to take the place of, of Joel Quenville? I, you know, for Jeremy Collin, it, at 33 years old, almost you know half the age of the, the guy he's replacing. Um, you talk about big shoes to fill and all those kinds of dynamics. But I wonder, and you, I thought your piece uh, earlier this week, even before the the coaching change about what to make of this Chicago team, you know, as you mentioned, really probably a, a surprising start on the positive side, uh, hit a pretty flat spell. Maybe they're where this, a lot of us imagined them to be sort of, you know, a middle, middle of the road team, maybe it's slightly below middle of the road. Do, do you see, you know, what's Jeremy Colleton's biggest challenge now coming in and trying to keep this team afloat and, and a team that, you know, whose Stanley Cup window may have in fact closed, but are, are they still a, a team capable of making the playoffs? All those issues now, what's his biggest challenge, do you think, as he steps behind the bench as as a first-time NHL head coach? Well, that's, I, I think, I mean, I, I'm writing today about uh, the the fact that he's 33 years old and trying to command respect in a room with you know, 20-something Stanley Cups between everybody. There's four four guys in the team older than he is. But I don't think that's going to be the biggest concern. I think he's he'll be quick to get respect. People like him. He's a former player. Uh, he's very good with open communication. I think he'll be fine in that regard. The trick right now with the Blackhawks is finding a direction. 
what are they? What are they trying to do? They've got this core that's not that old. You know, Jonathan Taves just turned 30. Patrick Kane turns 30 in a couple of weeks. Uh, Duncan Keith is 35, but is basically endlessly young. Brent Seabrook's 33, declining maybe a little bit, but he's still got some years ahead of him. But then you've also got this next wave of prospects, this great blue line prospects, Adam Boquist, Nicholas Bodine, Ian Mitchell. You've got Yoki Haru this year that in like maybe two years is ready to kind of take that mantle. What are you doing in these two years in the interim? That, 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 that was my criticism of Stan Bowman is that there's no, there's no forward motion here. There's no identity. They're not rebuilding. John McDonough, the team president, called it a remodeling. I don't know exactly what that means because they're just kind of running in place. They went out and they signed Brandon Manning and Chris Kunitz. How is that going to make you better or younger or faster? Or what do you – I don't know what they're doing. They're just kind of hanging in there. They want to stay competitive enough that they can still be relevant in Chicago, maybe squeak into the playoffs. Um, but they're not rebuilding towards something, and they're not trying to win right now. So that's the trick. If you're Jeremy Colton and you're trying to prove yourself at 33 years old, what can you do with this group right now? Who can come in right now and make this a contending team? I just don't see it. Well, is I mean, is that I mean, is he is he being is it an untenable situation then, or or are there things that you think he can bring to the table that maybe helps that younger group? accelerate their evolution maybe uh, he's familiar obviously with the uh, the players that would have been in rockford uh, is there a is there a reason for optimism that in the at least in the short term and we're talking this season that that there are some things that he can do that can vault this team back into the playoffs after missing last year and being swept by nashville in the first round the year before I, it's possible. I mean, you talk to the guys like I talked today to like guys like Alexander Fourteen and Eric Gustafson, Luke Johnson, who played for him in Rockford, and they love him. They say he's great at individually kind of you know uh, uh, specializing his coaching for each individual player and making them better. So that can certainly help. Joel Quenville, he's not going to take Luke Johnson aside for a half hour and sit him down one on one and 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 talk him through some things. So that could certainly help. Uh, what could really help though is I think that the firing of Joel Quenville. It wasn't waving the white flag. That would be way too dramatic to say. But it's kind of an admission, perhaps, that the expectations have to change a little bit around here for a couple of years. So maybe Jeremy Colton won't quite have the pressure to win right now that you naturally have when you have Joel Quenville leading Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith and all these players. So maybe that'll help. Maybe ease some of that burden. The young guys can feel like, you know... Like 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 Kane and Taves did when they were young, when there was no expectations that they could just go out and make mistakes and learn to become NHL players. Uh, they benefited from playing in front of five thousand people their first year at the United Center. Uh, it's a lot harder to be a rookie for the Blackhawks now than it was eleven years ago. So maybe all of that can help. And Colton, I mean, this it, Jeremy Colton was always going to become the the, the Blackhawks' next coach. The management loves him. Uh, everyone raves about him. I don't think they expected it to happen this fast with one year of pro coaching experience in North America. But there's there's a reason that he's the coach right now. They believe in him. They think that he can become something special. Um, what he does with his next two years is going to be very interesting because this team should be good again relatively soon. Kind of like what you saw with Boston, where they kind of had that retooling on the fly after a couple of down years. Pittsburgh went through a couple of down years. Maybe not quite this down, but... Uh, you can do that. Um, or do you become the Kings where you just become obsolete so quickly that it, your, your head spins? Uh, that's going to fall on Jeremy Colton to see if he can kind of tinker and, 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 and adjust and teach and coach and make these guys just better enough that they can hang in until that next wave comes in. Well, I, I think the key obviously is, and then pointing out the obvious is drafting and developing, but, but it's huge. And 
you know, you mentioned Pittsburgh. They really, other than a very small blip, have essentially been a competitive slash a contender for almost 13 years, which is crazy to think about. I mean, you know, they, between the Ray Shiro era and the Jim Rutherford era, there was certainly a blip in between, which cost Ray Shiro his job. But they really never bottomed out, and they won three championships, and they're still a good team. But the key is that they've produced a lot of homegrown players. And, you know, this is where I think the Kings have, have struggled uh, the last five years. I don't think myself that they draft as well as they used to. Um, whereas I do think the, the, I think the Blackhawks uh, have done a better job of drafting than the Kings. Um, you know, we, we need Scott Powers on here to, to bring us up to speed on all the prospects uh, <laughs> in the Hawks system. But but is it good enough? I mean, you know, I, I think of a team that actually hasn't won a cup the, under Steve Eisman, but has been knocking at the door forever in Tampa Bay. Not only have they been one of the better teams in the league the last five years, but I was talking to someone the other day who had unbelievable knowledge of the HL, and they said, you wouldn't believe who they have in Syracuse. And the, the point being that, you know, Tampa's got some uh, staying power here past the next couple of years because of what they have coming. And that's the key. I mean, that's that's the hardest part of it all. And yeah, but you look at what the Black, the Blackhawks are farther down that path, I think. They had 10 solid years, nine, nine years, I guess it would be, of just utter dominance, really. They had a couple of first-round mm-hmm. losses thrown in. But, you know, Western Conference Final in 2009, Stanley Cup in 2010, Stanley Cup in 2013, overtime of Game 7 of the Western Conference Final in 2014, Cup in 2015. I mean, maybe you wrung as much out of this as you can. And and, and is that so bad? Is I mean, and, and the price, you wouldn't you pay that price to have a couple of down years now in the late 2010s to have that kind of run of success? I don't think right. any Blackhawks fan or, or management or anybody can look at what the Blackhawks have done and said, man, they blew it. They really screwed the Like in Chicago, people still talk about the 1985 Bears. Man, they should have won three or four Super Bowls. I don't think you can have that kind of regret with the Blackhawks. No, it's been an unbelievable run. And, and you know, I know this has been it's been popular to run down Stan Bowman this week because of the firing of Joel Quenville. But Stan Bowman's done an unbelievable job having to <laughs> having to rejig three different you know, the last two cup rosters from the first one, as you know, Mark. And, and you know, I think the trade that I think antagonizes a lot of Hawks fans is Artemi Panarin, given that he truly is one of the great goal scorers in the world. But, and I think you know this, obviously you've written about it. I think the Hawks thought that what is happening now to Columbus, to Columbus with Panarin was going to happen to them. Absolutely. And, Stan's and, talked about it a lot. Yeah. Right. And so... You can criticize all, all you want, and maybe at the end of the day, it should have been someone else instead of Brandon Saad. Who knows? I think it's too early to say that Brandon Saad isn't going to go back to being the player he can be. I think there's still time. But at the end of the day, I un- it's absolutely understandable why the Hawks thought, you know what? A year from now, we're going to have our hands full trying to convince uh, Panarin to sign an extension when you're out. Or, even if he wants to sign, can we afford him under our cap? So maybe it's not quite like Columbus, where he clearly just doesn't want to sign at all. But, okay, Panarin says, yeah, I'll sign. Uh, I'll take $11 million a year. <laughs> well, that's not going to work in Chicago. So, I mean, that's a trade that I defend Stan Bowman on because if you were in his shoes, a, a worse outcome it would be sitting where Columbus is right now where they, you know, they, they cannot sign Panarin, and it certainly looks like they can't, and are either going to have to trade him when they're potentially in a playoff spot this season 
or let him walk out for free on July 1st. It's a horrible position to be in. Yeah, I mean, I, I was an advocate of that trade. I thought it was a great trade at the time because Brandon Saad is a better all-around player than Artemi Panarin. You got what you thought was going to be a good backup goalie in Anton Forsberg. It just hasn't worked out. That trade isn't the is not a, a, an egregious crime by Stan Bowman. The question is, would you have rather stuck with Jalmerson and Panarin for two more years, tried to squeeze one more cup out of this uh, right. this this core? Would that have been better off than what's happened the last years, just to get some cost certainty? Now, Jalmerson's not the player he once was. Um, Forsberg didn't work out. I mean, there's a million what ifs that you can go through. But you know, Stan Bowman was playing the long game, and that's his job is to think about not just next year, but four years down the road. Uh, and you're right, Stan did a very good job. You know, people criticize him, which isn't really fair for taking over Dale Talon's core. But they lost half that team in 2010, and he got two more cups out of that. That's not mm-hmm. nothing. That's a really good job that he did. But the last three or four years, he has had way more misses than hits. Uh, you have to talk about the Brent Seabrook contract, which is kind of an albatross around the Hawks' neck right now. He's signed for six and a half more years. Uh, you have to talk about uh, you know guys that they've let walk, guys that they've traded away, the Phil Deneau trade, that you know giving Tavo Teravainen away just to get rid of a year of Brian Bickle's contract. Hell, Vinny Henestrosa would look good right now in the bottom six. The Hawks have no depth scoring, but they traded him away even though they could have theoretically just kept Marion Hossa on long-term injured reserve. There's been a lot of misses lately. I think it's fair to criticize him, but that doesn't diminish what he accomplished in the past by any means. Yeah, yeah no, Mark, no you, question. You, you mentioned early, uh, early on talking about, you know, when Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze first came in in the NHL, it, it was a time when, when the Blackhawks were, you know, whether if they weren't irrelevant entirely, they were, they oh, were they hardly were irrelevant. They were irrelevant. Yeah, irrelevant. right. And, and I remember, you know, as a, as a reporter coming from Toronto and doing a story about how the Chicago Wolves were outdrawing the Chicago Blackhawks on a regular basis. And uh, I wonder if you have some perspective on, you know, there's a whole, I don't know whether a full generation, but certainly hundreds of thousands of Hawks fans who know only success or the the growth towards success with young Tays and Kane and building up to the, the first cup in 2010. It's, is there a danger when you have some lean times that that that, that goodwill that that standing in the sports community in Chicago that it erodes or is you know is there is that a is this team solid regardless of what happens in the next two or three or four years or what's you know how how precarious is having built yourself to the top of the mountain in in that city how precarious is that hold that's the big question and, and and it's a concern John McDonough has told me it's a concern I mean the Bears are getting good again the Cubs are on top of the world the Hawks don't have this town in the palm of their hand the way they did just a few years ago when they were by far the best franchise in town and they were the cool team the young team the one that everybody wanted to be a part of uh I mean it, it's a fine line between a bandwagon fan and a new fan I don't think that the fan the young fans the, the, the Blackhawks have a tremendous deep young fan base i mean they you know they interact with the people on twitter that's the young fan base they do better than the bears do and the the cubs do in attracting that young market but you're right they have never faced any real adversity as a fan their adversity was you know in 2012 when they lost to arizona in the first round oh no uh so they 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 haven't been tested yet and we don't know if they're going to stick around i think 
most of them will. I mean, when you interact with these people, I do on a daily basis, they are obsessive fans. Just because they're new doesn't make them good fans. I always say every fan has an origin story. And just because you were a bandwagon fan in 2009 doesn't mean you're a bad fan in 2018. These are fans that jumped on board on that bandwagon and got hooked. And now they're arguing about who's on the left wing on the fourth line and why the power play, the 1-3-1, is a bad structure for this particular team. These have become good, knowledgeable fans. Um, now will they stick around? That's the, that's the $64,000 question in Chicago. Uh, if you have a few lean years here, you know, the, 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 the Blackhawks sellout streak is about to end because tickets are catastrophically expensive. And if the team's not great, it's going to be tough to sell a 22,000-seat building. But I don't think they're going to they, – there's no danger of them slipping back into the kind of irrelevance they had when Bill Wirtz wouldn't put home games on TV. And that was unbelievably just 12 years ago. They have, no, they have a good foothold now, but they are going to fall behind the Cubs and the Bears. They already have, and they could fall behind the Bulls who are building a young team. The White Sox are rebuilding. It's hockey. When it comes down to it, when you're the hockey team in a major market, you're always the underdog. And uh, if, they, if they are mediocre for a while or worse than mediocre, they're going to be you know, playing in front of twelve or 13,000 fans and, and TV ratings are going to go down. That's just inevitable. That happens in just about every market. Well, not, not where I live, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they know, all they know is lean years in Toronto. So. I was get, no, but I was going to say the hockey team is never behind anyone anywhere in Canada. But yeah. um, but I, but I, I, I was going to mention to you, Laz, that I can't believe you guys have been sleeping on the story in Chicago the last few years. You know that people have discovered in Toronto that the salary cap is unfair. Oh, my year. God. Is it? I never, I've never heard that before. <laughs> I thought it was okay that you develop and protect your own talent and then have to trade them away. Everybody's yeah. so cool with that in Chicago. Uh, the, the rules are all going to change now because the Leafs are affected. I, I bet they are. You, you, know you that. start seeing like those bird exemptions and all the NBA stuff for your own talent. <laughs> That's what happens. Is once Toronto gets upset, things actually change. <laughs> all right, my friend. Well, this has been a banner event for Two Man Advantage the podcast. So, Mark Lazarus, thanks for coming and hanging out with us for a while. And uh, it's a, it's going to be a fascinating, well, I was doing the math in my head, but let's call it uh, 65 games or whatever left for the Blackhawks. And uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how it unfolds. And, and let's do this again uh, as we move along. But thanks for coming and hanging out with Pierre and I. Yeah, it was fun. I never get to see you guys anymore because I don't cover any playoff teams anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch, wow. <laughs> Well, that, who knows? That might be a great story by the end of this year with a 33-year-old coach. My first, th- my first three years in the beat, I covered 12 playoff rounds, and then the next three I've covered two. Uh, so you're, you're, what you're saying is you've got a good, good reserve of energy. I'm rested. Let's spring. go. All right. <laughs> All right. Last, thank you for hanging out. Anytime, guys. All right. All right, my friend. That was uh, that was great. I feel really energized by uh, by this episode today. What so what, what's your in your heart of hearts? I mean, is I thought a year ago that when people were saying it was, you know, the window was had closed on the Blackhawks, I thought it was premature. I thought they were a team that was probably still going to sneak into the playoffs. Obviously, it didn't happen. Um, and what's your gut tell you? Does the coaching change energize them? Are they a team that can, you know, can find their way into the top eight? Or, or is this really the start of you know, call it a rebuild or whatever you want to call it. But this is really the, the a signal that, that things are going to change for the next couple of years in Chicago. You know, maybe if they were in the Pacific, I'd say they had a, some hope, but I just think being in the, in the central division, it's just going to be too difficult. Um, 
And, you know, I, I think what it allows, though, now, and, and, and again, they'll never duplicate the amazing run that Joel Quenville gave them, probably, but they certainly have a chance to try to, to get there again one day. But I think what it allows the Hawks to do now with a young coach is to make a lot more long-term decisions um, and try things that are more about uh, you know the future than just now. And I know that John McDonough at his news conference talked about the the need to be competitive now as well. But you know sometimes I think you have to say things publicly because you're running a business and and you have to sell tickets. But I think you know if 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 they allow Stan Bowman to do some of the things that I, that I believe he's capable of, I think there's a chance to turn this around in not that long a period. But certainly. I think there has to be more pain here before that happens. Yeah, I think you I think you are probably right. One thing, though, it's always no pain here at Two Man Advantage, the podcast. But it is time to bid adieu for this week, and, uh, and we'll do it again next week as always. But uh, good work today, my friend. You are, you're on top of your game. And I'm no longer asking you for Zeke Elliott because no, I, made, no, I, I, was... I, made, I made my big trade today, so I'm done. I was waiting for you to ask. Now no one wants him because the Cowboys are terrible. Uh, we well, waited too long. They'll, they'll, they'll probably beat the Eagles Sunday night just for the for just for the heck of it. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, we'll chat again next week. Sounds good.